Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fans, July's underway, and it's a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you can find it all, from the NBA and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all of your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive 50% welcome bonuses on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hey gang, it's Mike, Mark, and Barry all together on this episode, and our guest Mark is a man who's 19 years in the big leagues, probably best remembered for his great run with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Luis Gonzalez is truly a World Series hero. Yeah, what a World Series hero it was, Mike. I remember that seven-game series. That was epic theater uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Five-time All-Star. Also, the Arizona Diamondbacks retired his number in 2010. Luis Gonzalez was known as one of the greatest teammates out there, and I was fortunate to be in the Dodger uniform with him. This is going to be an incredible story. What a moment in baseball history. Luis, we know your schedule is really busy. Can't thank you enough for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'll tell you this, guys. 19 seasons in the big leagues, there's a lot here to parse through and a lot to respect. And What's always interesting to us is the relationships along the way, especially the ones that you players have with the people who represent you, because what do they say? It takes a village uh, to raise a player, we'll say, in this instance. And Barry, you had that chance to kind of pick and choose some really high-profile clients. You had a bunch of work through with Gonzo and played with Gonzo. Heck, I hear you darn near repped Luis Gonzalez, Bear. Well, I don't know how close it was, but uh, uh, Gonzo, thank you for being on. But uh, over the years, for whatever, there's two people that that I always thought I should have represented because they were always on teams with my teammates. One was Moises Alou and the other was Luis Gonzalez. And I think Gonzo first came up with uh, when Biggio was already at the Astros. And then there was Bagwell and, and, uh, and Craig and Daryl Kyle our dear friend, Daryl Kyle. And then, and then he moves on to the Cubs and he's teammate with Mark Grace for a few years, goes back to the Astros with Craig and Jeff again, and then ends up at Arizona with Mark again. So uh, it was like, every time I went to visit one of my clients, there was Gonzo, you know? So through that, we became what I consider friends. And uh, uh, at one point in time, there was some discussion of the possibility of being my, his representative. And I put on my best shirt, Mike, and I, uh, I, I, I you know, I went out there and, and put on the best presentation and, and Gonzo said, nah, I, I think I'll stay where I am. Or, I, I don't remember all the details, but it never impacted our relationship. And I consider that we had, uh, con- continue to have a great relationship. And, uh, uh, but that's one of the things Mark always talks about on these podcasts is, the relationships that he's built with his teammates. Gonzo wasn't my teammate and he wasn't my client, but it was still a relationship that I got through my association with baseball and I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Barry. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's probably one of the decisions that I made that I still, I, I'm not saying it because you're here, but I honestly kick myself every day that I didn't have you 
uh, rep me at one time or another in my career. My wife and I even talked about it. I made, uh, I've made some good decisions and I've also made some bad decisions in my career. And, and, uh, that was probably one that I still kind of regret and kick myself because you were always, first of all, friend. And I, all, you're exactly right. Every time I, I went to a team, you always had the guys that I respected the most on the ball club. And, um, you always had good people in your, on your team. So I just, uh, I appreciate still you, uh, have, you know, us being able to still be friends to this day. And we still, every time we see each other, I still feel like you're, you're a family friend and a brother to me. I feel the same way. Thank you, Gonzo. Well, from a business end, maybe it didn't work out quite as either of you might have expected. But I think the friendship, as you point out, gents, is truly what's uh, lasting and most important. And there are the commonalities, I think, that all of us share, which I believe is what makes this podcast in particular, Luis, uh, significant. And I'd mentioned a moment ago that you'd spent 19 seasons in the big leagues. And for our listeners, that's 1990 through 2008. And your window with Arizona was something remarkable. I'd like to take us all back, if you could, to the 2001 World Series. Your Arizona Diamondbacks playing the New York Yankees. For our young listeners who may not have been around at the time of 2001. We know you've read about it. And for the other listeners like ourselves, uh, the time in American history was significant to say the very least. The attacks of September 11th shook and shaped not only the country, but the world. And as baseball has done throughout history, has kind of been the fabric that has woven communities back together, <clears throat> provided some sort of healing. And that's the backdrop for that 2001 World Series. I happened to be working in New York at the time. Uh, Barry, I know, was part and parcel of the game and, and was at the World Series. And Luis, you were right there in the thick of it. What do you remember about the power and the magnitude and the bigness, perhaps, of that event? Well, I mean, sports has a, a way of, of bringing people together and healing and forgiving uh, you know, whether people are going through a lot of problems and issues and different things in their lives, or if they're, you know, gathering to, to have happy moments out there. And after the, the tragedy of 9-11, uh, when baseball came back, you know, the magnitude of, of what had just happened to, to the United States and in, in the city, in New York City, um, for us to play in a World Series against the New York Yankees, uh, was unbelievable. I mean, just the magnitude of it, the security, all the people, uh, all eyes across the world were on this series at this time. And uh, to be a part of it, a small piece of it was uh, unbelievable. Gonzo, when you start thinking of that, uh, your team and club, it was snowballing. Uh, I mean, not only did you have a great year with 57 home runs, uh, but this was starting to establish you had uh, Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling in that rotation, others as well. Uh, but the belief in knowing that you could get to that main stage was real. Uh, tell us uh, how that went down, especially after September 11th. Yeah, I tell you, man, that was a great group of guys. When you walk in there, it was a veteran locker room. And, you know, all the accomplishments that everybody had, individual accomplishments, uh, there was only one guy on the team that had achieved the ultimate goal of winning the World Series, and that was Craig Council. And he had won it a couple of years before with the Florida Marlins. But, I mean, you look up and down that roster, these were baseball guys. I mean, these guys had spent a long time in the major leagues, uh, had been through good teams, bad teams. We, we kind of called ourselves kind of the cast-offs from all the other teams that we were on. But to, to have an opportunity to play with that group of men, 
at the same time, we all check, everybody checked their egos at the door. I mean, it's, it's easy to say and everybody goes, yeah, right. This and that. But uh, we truly pulled for each other. Everybody knew their role on the team, whether it was coming off the bench, uh, being a bullpen guy, middle relief, short relief, long relief. Um, you know, everybody knew exactly what their role was on that team. And when you got a group of guys like that, that's not worried about individual numbers, at the end of the day, everybody gets taken care of. And that's what happened with this with this group of guys. You know, our, uh, game one of that World Series is October 27th, so not far removed uh, from September 11th. And games one and two happen to be in Arizona, as you all know. Barry, you're part of that entire experience. And I would probably guess you were a sounding board for a lot of these men who were younger at the time uh, to give them a little bit of perspective. What was it like from your seat? Well, um, I can uh, honestly say that I've been involved with baseball professionally for uh, 45 years, and I've never been in a baseball atmosphere like that. I don't know if it was 9-11, if it was the excitement of the four-year-old Diamondbacks against the legendary Yankees or exactly what, what combination of factors made it so exciting. But I, because of Mark Grace, I went to games one and two in Arizona uh, with my wife and, you know, the Diamondbacks win both games, which makes the city of Phoenix ecstatic and all their fans ecstatic. Uh, and then they go to New York and lose three in a row by one run each game. So come back to Arizona and people are on edge. Well, I, of course, I had to go back for game six and seven as well. Uh, and I, as I recall, game six was kind of a blowout. And then game seven, you know, here you come down to it. And from the get-go, from the first moment, the, the Star Spangled Banner, uh, there was a trumpet player that played this amazing rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. There's a flyover by the Stealth Bomber. And then you've got Clemens and Schilling uh, facing off against each other and you get exactly what you would expect, you know, scoreless baseball for five or six innings until uh, Alfonso Soriano hits a home run to put the, the Diamondbacks up and, or the Yankees up. And then, and then the Yankee, uh, then, then the tie ball game and then the Yankees go ahead two to one. And, and uh, I can vividly remember the excitement of, or, or almost the dismay of, of uh, Rivera coming into the game as a Diamondback fan at the time, the dismay of, oh no, here comes the Sandman. And then the excitement when Randy Johnson got up in the Arizona bullpen, the, the crowd went ballistic and the excitement was amazing. And that led up to that legendary ninth inning that we all remember. Luis, take us, take us from that point. Um, what you remember in that moment, game seven, uh, two to one, as you were uh, not knowing it was going to be Tony Womack, who was going to be the forever legend there. But your perspective, what was it like? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, Barry's absolutely right. When when Soriano hit that home run, it was I mean, the the aside from the Yankee fans that were there, the the, the crowd just went silent. And then uh, I still remember Mark coming in the dugout and some of the other guys saying, you know, we got this. You know, we felt like we outplayed them the whole series and we had the right guys coming up to the plate at that time. We had contact hitters, um, which which was, you know, Tony Womack was one of the best probably at hitting balls in uh, Mark Grace knew how, you know, he was a contact hitter, never struck out over 100 times in his career. 
Uh, I mean, we had the right guys on the team at the right moments. And, and I was one of the victims of the strikeout in the eighth inning. He struck out the side in the eighth. And, you know, as a player, and, and Sweeney, you, you know this, when you're sitting in the bench and things start happening, you start looking up at the scoreboard to kind of, you kind of play scenarios out in your head um, because you don't want to have the unexpected happen. So you start playing scenarios about, man, how is this going to happen to where I'm going to get that opportunity to come up again? And lo and behold, you know, you kind of figure it out and go, man, I might have a chance of hitting again here in the ninth inning. And it did the way everything kind of played itself out. Gonzo, I love the perspective that you have because it, it's so true. You start looking at it, and I can almost see it now at, at uh, Bank One Ballpark. They have those names in, in, in the lineup cards, and you can almost sift through what's going to happen, what scenario has to happen to get that other chance. And it was interesting. You mentioned uh, the eighth inning. You, you strike out against Mariano Rivera. Put perspective on this for our listeners. Uh, Mariano Rivera, 27 career saves in the playoffs alone. So the dominance was real. The ERA was minuscule. Um, he was bigger than the biggest moment. And everyone knew that in baseball. So you go through that scenario, and Bob Brenly, your manager, is going in there. They're bringing in Mariano for six outs. That is a huge task. I don't care when it is, but this is game seven. So uh, take us into the scenario of what, what went on. Uh, your mindset going into that at bat because you start unraveling all of these dynamics it's the bunt plays it's mariano rivera throwing an errant throw to second base uh to establish opportunities of another sacrifice bunt he gets the force out of third base you start raveling in here and it's layer upon layer of opportunity and it is a perfect scenario for you take us through your mindset of when you're on that bench before you got on the on deck circle yeah, I think that at-bat in the eighth inning really helped me for the ninth because of the simple fact that uh, more times than not, I was usually a guy who liked to take the first pitch to kind of gauge speed and kind of read a pitch. Uh, every now and then I try to what players call ambush a guy and try to, you know, first ball swing if they're, you know, they think you're going to go up there taking. But uh, I was one of those guys that always liked to take the first pitch, and I did that in the eighth inning. But as the lineup kind of turned over and I saw myself having an opportunity to hit in the ninth, in my mind, I kept saying, okay, this time I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I didn't want to fall behind against a great pitcher like that. And then as everything played out, you know, when bases, you know, when, when they came up with bases loaded and then they drew the infield in, uh, then my mindset was like, okay, I just need to get something in the outfield. I got to get something in the air. I don't want to hit a ground ball here. And uh, the first pitch he threw me was a cutter. You know, that's all he throws, basically. Cutter in, I fouled it off. And then, uh, you know, you're just trying to relax. You know, with all the magnitude of everything going on, I was just trying to take a deep breath and relax. And, uh, you know, I was able to, to get the ball in the air just enough to get it over Jeter's head, you know, to, to win the game. Gonzo, I mean, establishing that moment is unbelievable. Infield in uh, gives you a little more confidence against a guy that you're just trying to get a shred of confidence in with, with Rivera. Um, Tony Womack's at bat, to me, was the deciding factor. Um, even going back to that 2-2 uh, pitch, and he lines it down to right. Uh, was that euphoria for you guys? What was that feeling like? Um, before you let up to your big hit. Oh, man, that was unbelievable. I mean, he's he is the perfect hitter in that spot because um, I think, 
and you being a left-handed hitter, no, that pitch, I think 99% of us would hit that pitch foul mm-hmm. if we're cheating in, looking for that ball in. And he's the, the perfect guy. He somehow keeps that ball fair right down the line. And, uh, I mean, he was he was the perfect guy in that spot for us. I mean, that the lineup that day and the way everything played out couldn't have been any better. Mark Grace leading off the inning. This guy, you know, led the 90s in hits and – I mean, we had a lot of guys with different accolades, but nobody had that ultimate uh, championship except for one guy, like I said earlier, which was Craig Council. But for us to – we we basically used almost everybody in the lineup that ninth inning to win the game. We even had guys coming off the bench to to pinch run, to to bunt, to do different things to, to help us win that game. And that was a true sign of a, of a team from top to bottom that was all on the same page. Yeah, uh, for, for our listeners uh... – David DeLucci, Midre Cummings, those were pinch runners um, that really had everything to do with it. It was a perfect scenario for you guys to snatch that win away from the great Yankees. Uh, Barry, you were, you had Mark Grace, um, a, a client of yours. He gets a start for Bob Brenly, and he, he, he supports him with three hits and, and nothing bigger than that line drive to start the inning. What was your perspective on that? Oh, I was nervous as can be. Um, I... I I was sitting, I had good seats sort of along the third baseline. And there was a restaurant at that time called uh, High Tops Restaurant Bar that had an area in left field where they had, you know, bathrooms that were available, food, drink available. They were hosting it and we were invited. Uh, the funny thing was that Kevin Towers, the GM of the Padres and Bruce Bochy, their manager, was sitting right behind home plate. And they came out to left field. So we're all out there and here comes Gracie to the plate. And I'm, I'm probably more nervous than he was, uh, you know, just uh, scared to death about what was going to happen. And he's facing, he's facing uh, Mariano and what, what good could come of this and bam, base hit. And it was like, okay, I think this might be okay. You know, I think things are going to work out here. And uh, it was, uh, the rest of it was so darn exciting. And uh uh, including we could see Gonzo's hit uh, from there, from left field with like, oh, oh my God, please make it. Man. <laughs> and I made it. So, uh, and then it, then, then all hell broke loose. Then it was amazing after that. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that when Gracie got that hit, it calmed everybody in our dugout down because, you know, if he comes up there and makes the first out, we're like, oh, gosh. I mean, uh-huh. that's a that's a big play in baseball. First out, you know, you want to get that leadoff guy, especially in a close game the way it was. <clears throat> and for him to go up there against the ultimate reliever in postseason play, the greatest reliever in postseason play, to get that hit like it was nothing, then everybody said, okay, we got this, man. We're, we, we know how we can manufacture a run somehow, some way, and we're going to find a way to do this. All right, Luis, ball off your bat as soon as impacts made your initial thought walk us through it my initial thought was i i could not believe it was happening to me i mean i'm a sports fan uh i love all major sports um and and you know you play those scenarios out when you're sitting on your couch whether it's a guy making a big putt or you know throwing a touchdown pass or making a free throw or a three-pointer or, or you, know, you know in hockey you know shooting a a game winning goal, you play those scenarios out and go, man, I wonder what that feels like, you know, cause you're a sports fan, what that feels like to be in that moment. And even as a little kid, you always play game seven of the world series, bottom of the ninth. 
and to find yourself in that moment and to be the guy to actually do that, man, it was uh, an out-of-body experience. It was an unbelievable moment. I wish I could bottle it up and give it to all my friends and family and all the fans to feel what I felt at that moment, to have all your teammates jumping on top of you. And I mean, it's the ultimate moment that every professional athlete dreams about being in and to be in that spot. It was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. We talk about all the hitting too. Uh, uh, Kurt Schilling was brilliant. Uh, another scenario that really came into mind is Randy Johnson coming in after he pitched the night before hundred plus pitches. Uh, a Herculean uh, effort coming into that game, but just adrenaline itself. So uh, don't want to minimize all of those elements before right. that you you were, you were the star there. But you go around first base. Eddie Rodriguez, the first base coach, it, it can't wait to hug you. Everyone else is coming through. I love the reaction of Bob Brenly, the manager, uh, the excitement. You turn around, and what's that? in your lens. I mean, what, what did that feel like? Cause you had plenty of time to remember that. What was that moment like? It was, uh, it, it was a culmination of the first day you walk into the <laughs> training camp, everybody, we had one goal an ultimate goal. And, and, and every team talks about it, guys, we want to get to the world series. We want to win the world series. But as the season went on, we, we believed that, that we were going to be that team. And, uh, to finally reach that goal and be that team, you know, that everybody was talking about all year, we can do this, we can do this. And to finally get there and be that team to win the world series and to see all your teammates and, and people rushing at you. It was an unbelievable. I'm, I get goosebumps now still talking about it. And here we are 20 years later after the world series, it was a super unbelievable feeling. Gonzo, uh, what incredible moment it is to pop a champagne bottle. Um, I'll never forget it. Uh, Tony La Russa said he, the greatest gift as a manager is seeing someone do it for a first time. <laughs> you guys started snowballing. You had plenty of champagne to pop, but there's no better one after game seven. Uh, take us into that locker room, that celebration. After the, the craziness on the field, you take it into the locker room. What was that like? Was there was a speech or was it just a, a party atmosphere in there? It was truly a party atmosphere in there. And, and really what you look for is you look for people who impacted your life, your family, your close friends that were in there, and just people yeah. that meant a lot to you because they've been on the journey with you. I mean, these, these people have, have gone through the whole journey of the ups and downs that you have in your career and things. You, you're talking about we were the oldest team in baseball at the time. So there was a lot of guys that have spent a lot of, you know, the, the, their time in the major leagues going through, you know, either being traded, getting released, getting signed again, and going through a lot of different adversity and different things. And to finally find yourself at the top of the mountain at the end, um, you, a lot of hugging, a lot of crying, a lot of, uh, you know, emotions that went on in that locker room that night. But it was, it was a, the best feeling you could ever have. Barry, what was that like from your end of things when you're sitting there going, you know, you're a business associate, but you're, as you pointed out, you're also a really close friend of a lot of the people involved in this. Uh, Luis gets the base hit, Diamondbacks win, Barry Axelrod does. Uh, I watched, uh, I, I think I, I, I was transfixed watching what was going on on the field. And the, what I remember most is how long it went on and how many people ended up being out there. There were, uh, uh, I remember Gracie carrying around his son, I, probably a year or two years old at that time. And uh, all the uh, wives were out there, 
families, parents, kids, and it went on forever. And in the stands, it went on forever. We were having a pretty good time in the stands as well. So that's that's what I remember most about it. I think I think Barry probably cringe when he heard Mark Grace get on the mic and tell everybody there was a party at his house too. Only <laughs> <laughs> 50,000 people, there's going to be a party at his house. I'm sure Barry yeah. went, oh my God, what's my client doing right now? <laughs> yeah, I do remember that part as well. <laughs> was it, was there? Did you guys go? Is that where? Oh no, went? I think he was, he was more, he probably did with his family and friends, but I'm sure the emotions, <laughs> it was pretty funny though with all the guys. Yeah. Luis, what'd you end up doing right away that night afterward? We actually all went, uh, we tried to go to where Barry was talking about high tops right across the way. And it was so crowded. And, uh, and then our owner at the time, Jerry Colangelo, we, we all went to a place called uh, Bianco's pizzeria Bianco's right down the street and went in there. I mean, nobody wanted to sleep. It was like a, it was really a dream that you just, you didn't want it to end. So for all of us, it was just, it was a long night, but it was well worth it. Gonzo, uh, as you mentioned, you're, you're a baseball fan. I mean, every kid watching that, including myself, I became a 10 year old again. I absolutely loved it. Um, where is the bat now? Where, where did that go? And uh, uh, what was that like? Well, the bat actually is in Cooperstown. It was uh, uh, taken right after uh, to Cooperstown and actually they had to get approval to take it on a, uh, on an airplane because at the time, Jeff Idelson, uh, who was the president of MLB, um, they don't, they don't lose sight of memorabilia that they're taking back to Cooperstown and they had to get a special approval because of nine 11, everything that happened and, and, you know, having a baseball bat to carry on an airplane. So there's another story to that thing that happened with that. But, uh, yeah, and the baseball I ended up giving to Jerry Colangelo the day of the uh, the parade. I just felt like he was the right person to <clears throat> to have that baseball. What memorabilia did you keep uh, in in that moment? Do you remember what you have? I have my cleats. I mean, now nowadays players are more in tune to uh, saving more memorabilia. I think right at the time it was just starting to get to where you know things were getting authenticated and things like that. I wish I would have. Uh, been more in tune into that to uh, my jersey and different things like that that's all you know at the ballpark in in a kind of a museum type thing that they have but if I would have known back then I would have kept all that stuff thrown in my bag and saved it for, for a later time yeah first championship for uh, the uh, the state of Arizona I, I think that's spectacular what was that uh, what was the celebration like uh, the parade uh, take us through that Man, it was unbelievable just to be a part of that. You know, like I said, you, you watch things like that your whole life and uh, you always wonder what it's going to be like, but then to actually find yourself in it, it's a pinch yourself moment type thing where you're going, man, I can't believe this is happening to myself and, and my teammates. And I tell you, they always say when you win a championship, you're brothers for life. And it's no doubt. I mean, I've played with a lot of great players and Barry, I, you know, I, I, I was up, I was a young kid with, with Caminetti, Bagwell, Biggio, all these guys, they taught me how to play the game the right way. I was a young kid, man. And, and uh, to have guys like that, that you respect and, and played with, and then to actually find yourself with a great group of men later on. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome to go back at, as you look at the list of players and you know, Mark, you played for a long time when you look back and go, man, I played with that guy for this long. And, you know, when you talk about players and people that you play with, first of all, 
when you're in the fraternity, it's more of what type of person they are before what type of player they are, because there's a lot of great players. And I always say there's, you know, there's going to be another guy that's either going to break your records or come in and put bigger numbers and things like that. But it's the, the person that that player is the impact that they make on other people and their, in their lives is what means the most to me. And I'm sure it's a lot of other players too. You know, when you talked about hitting that ball over Jeter's head, I'm visualizing that once again in that infield in, as you guys are talking about, uh, Jeter says you play that ninth inning again, we'd win it the next 99 times. You ever spoken to Derek about it? No, actually I had a, uh, a moment with Mariano because, you know, spring training's in Tampa and that's where I grew up. And I was actually walking through the mall and he was walking through the mall and man, he, he's a true professional, man. He, I mean, after that game, he said he, you know, he just, he didn't have his best stuff, got beat that day. And I mean, everybody could have said, well, if the infield was, play he could have said if the infield was playing back, it wouldn't happen. But I mean, just the utmost respect for him and the guys on that team, that was a great team. I mean, they were, they were the dynasty team. They were trying to get their fourth world championship and we were the oldest team in baseball. Um, and we were trying to win our first in a short time, but I mean, you look at both rosters, there was a lot of great players on both teams, and the pitching was just dominant on both ends. There wasn't a lot of offense going on in, in that World Series. No, the firepower was insane. And when you think about it, you guys jumping out to the two games to none lead after you play the first two in Arizona, uh, that game three, though, that's where I think the national theater uh, was really um, at its apex because if the listeners remember, that was the game where the president at the time, George Bush, threw out that first pitch. What was that like for you in that dugout? Oh, man, it was unbelievable. Well, we didn't know at first. We were, you know, the umpires come out, and we started counting. We were going, wait, there's there's more umpires out here than normal. And a couple of the Secret <laughs> Service guys were dressed as umpires to go out there to protect the president. And, um, yeah, that was a – that was – super chilling moment to go have him go out there in the president and to throw the ball the way he did, you know, he could have put the little arc on it and, and barely got it there, but man, he threw a line drive strike right to the mitt. And then he gave the thumbs up to everybody out there on the field. That was an unbelievable moment. All, you know, it was just as big as the world series at the time for, for all of us to see that moment right there it was, it was a moment of healing for everybody to say, you know what, we're back as the United States. I think that is as well phrased and eloquent as anybody could put it, because those are the two signature moments from a casual fan's perspective. Uh, the president's throwing of the first pitch and your base hit uh, to clinch it game seven. So that's 2001. Luis, let's back things up a little bit. Rewind um, to 1990, your call up. Remarkable start to your life as a young man, as you pointed out, uh, you're called up. And a team that had Art Howe as a manager, you had Biggio, you have Caminiti, Mike Scott, a lot of veteran guys on that team. What do you remember, though, about the call of being told you were going to the big leagues? Well, I was in double A and uh, <clears throat> it was after a ball game and our manager was Rick Sweet and he called me in and um, sat me down and, you know, he just kind of started talking about the game a little bit. And then he said, well, tomorrow's going to be a little bit different for you. And I thought man, is he going to give me a day off? What, I mean, I wanted to play every single day. <clears throat> and he said, you're getting on a plane early in the morning. Congratulations. You're going to the big leagues. And I mean, just the, I wanted to get on the phone and call everybody in my family and all my friends and everything, because 
<clears throat> you don't know how long it's going to take you or if you're ever going to make it to the major leagues, but to get that opportunity to get there, man, it was, it was so super cool. And, and I, I had to, I was able to share that moment with Andujar Cedeno, who was a, a young shortstop too out of double a, he was having a great year. Um, and, and he was able to, uh, both of us actually at the same time were called up to the major leagues. What a birthday present a day after your birthday, yeah. Gonzo, you, you, you end up uh, making your debut. What do you remember going into the locker room, seeing those jerseys wrapped around the locker room for the first time? Do you remember that? Yeah, it was, uh, well, I mean the Astrodome for me, um, the only thing I remember about the Astrodome, it was the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> and from the Bad News Bears, that was one of my favorite right, movies. You know, right. and that's the only thing I remember. You know, those guys being in the dugout and Bob Watson chanting "Let them play," and then the fans doing it, and then <clears throat> to actually walk into the stadium in that moment, go into the locker room. I was scared to death. I mean, now players are different. You know, they have MLB Network, ESPN, and all these things. We didn't have that. The only thing we had was like the game of the week you know, which was on, you know, one of the channels that was one of the main three or four channels that you got on your TV. <clears throat> and then to actually walk into the locker room and these are household names that you read about or heard about your whole life. And now you find yourself putting on the same uniform as them. It was super cool. Who welcomed you in? Who made you feel <laughs> like uh, you were part of the big club? Um, Glenn Davis was one of them. Uh Bijo was another one of those guys because he was kind of one of the leaders on the team at the time. He was still, he was still the catcher on the team before he transitioned over to, you know, playing a little bit of center field and second base, but um, Caminetti, I, I mean, they, they all pretty much welcomed me with open arms. It was, it was, it was nice. I mean, I was scared to death. I was a, a young kid. I was uh, just out of double a um, everything was kind of rushed for me. Everything was kind of sped up because I had signed in 88. Now I find myself in 90. I'm in the big leagues. And, uh, but, you know, I had Jim Deshays, Mike Scott, uh, Ken Obergfell, some of those old name guys that, you know, you had heard about and you collected their baseball cards. And now you're, you're actually sitting in a locker room with those guys. It was, it was really cool. I, I learned real fast, just be quiet and kind of sit there and learn from them. I was the, uh, I was the waiter, bartender, you call it, whatever, whatever they needed me to do. I was just so happy and excited to be in the big leagues. And you don't know how long that journey is going to last. I mean, you know, they say once you get to the big leagues, the hard part is staying there. And and for me, I was, I wanted to enjoy and savor every moment that I had up there. And I was blessed to be with a great group of, of guys there when I first got there. Yeah, Gonzo, that's priceless. It, because honestly, uh, that's the first time in your life that you're, you feel like a whipping boy and you're proud to do it. I, I mean, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely loved the fact that uh, they're initiating you. Uh, they're making it hard on you. Um, I was just privileged to to start buttoning that, those beautiful jerseys up, and I always felt that. Uh, interesting. We love first. Uh, what do you remember about your first hit, your first home run? Well, my first my first hit was off of uh, Steve Bedrosian, and I remember I hit the ball to right center. I got to second base, and I I think I was asking for the ball before I even <laughs> hit second base, and. Uh, <laughs> Who was it? Uh, I think Will Clark might have trailed me on the on the play. And then I was asking for the ball and they said, no, you can't have it, kid. You can't have it. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> I think I thought everybody was supposed to keep their first hit ball. So uh, but uh, yeah, that was that was my first one. And then my first home run, I hit two. Actually, the first my first homer, I hit my first and second on the same day. It was off of Greg Maddox. Wow. Against in the at Wrigley against the Cubs. And I'm sure he was. 
after I hit the first one, he was wondering who the heck is this guy. And after I hit the second one, he was like, he really wanted to know who the hell this guy was. So, but uh, yeah, and, and it's funny how baseball goes in your mind when you have success either in a ballpark or against a, a player early in your career. It seems like you're, the rest of your career, I always hit well at Wrigley and I always uh, hit well at San Francisco where I got my first hit. And I always did well against Greg Maddox for some reason. So, I mean, those are just things that I don't know if players, you, you always look back and you go, okay, if they had success against a guy in their first year, it seems like they own them or they feel really comfortable against those guys playing either in those ballparks or against certain players. You know, it's interesting to me as Mark has told me this before, Luis, and that is some guys you just see better for whatever reason yeah. sometimes it's the batter's eye sometimes there are other factors but there are other times where it's just the pitcher you just happen to see him well uh who is it though that you felt like gave you the most trouble oh man there was uh woody williams uh, who pitched for the cardinals and the padres for a long time and then uh uh uh, uh what's his name oh, i'm drawing a blank now left-hander pitched for seattle moyer jamie moyer mm-hmm I mean, I, I basically had to, yeah, I had to beg myself. I remember Brenly was the manager and I begged myself into the lineup. He was going to give me an off day. And he's like, man, you don't have good numbers. And I go, Hey, how do you know today might be the day I might you know, <laughs> get three today. And I remember after that game, I looked awful on the changeups for four day and I showered and got out of the locker room before the manager could find me after to <laughs> yell at me for putting him in the, for putting me in the lineup. Conzo, you you mentioned an interesting thing that we always like to ask because I think it's such a cool thing. When you're a young kid and you said you were a fan, uh, you collected baseball cards. What was that first uh, impression of your rookie card? Because I think that's pretty special. Oh, I hated my rookie card. Actually, my first one, I was walking off the field at Cincinnati and a guy over the dugout said, hey, let me get a picture. And, I, and it was a thousand degrees on that old turf at, at, uh, at the field. And I just kind of looked up. I didn't even smile. And I'm always smiling at everybody. And I didn't smile. And, that, and then I, lo and behold, a couple of years later, I look at and I and that's my first card. And I was like, oh, my God. I tried to go on eBay and buy every single one of those cards so nobody could have it. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a favorite? Of, I mean, 19 seasons in the big leagues. I know our listeners would love to know what they should go out and try to shop for. Which one was your favorite? I do. I have a, a card that uh, is with my son and I. I have him on my lap at, at spring training. Uh, he's in a little Diamondbacks uniform that we had. I, I want to say it's a Fleer. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, it's him sitting on my lap. And, and, uh, and uh, that's, that's probably my treasure card because it's an opportunity to have, you know, it's, it, you know, to be a parent and to be able to have your son in the dugout with you at that time, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. That's really cool. All right. So you break in in 1990 as a 22-year-old with Houston. You spend seven years in Houston. You got to be thinking, I'm going to be in Houston for the rest of my life. But then yeah. June comes in 1995, and Houston decides they're going to go a different direction. And off you go to Chicago. What was that like for you emotionally? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, because I had become so attached with the players on that team and the community and different things like that. And, and you're right. You feel, especially when you're a young player and you come up through the system, you make it to the major leagues and you feel like you're going to be with that ball club, you know, throughout your, your whole career. Um, you know, Bagwell, Bijou, all those guys, you wanted to be a household name like those guys, the rest of those guys. And then you get traded Scott Service, who is the manager now of the Seattle Mariners, and myself got traded for Rick Wilkins, a catcher. And then when you walk into a new locker room, it's 
it's a strange feeling, but I was going to kind of the Mecca of baseball. It was like one of the, the most popular places to play. I'm a left fielder. I get to now play in a place where I always hit well. I love the fans there being out there with the left field bleacher bums and now playing for the home team. I still remember the first day out there. Gracie was the first guy that came up to me and I had the utmost respect for him. And to walk into that locker room, it's scary because you play against these guys across the way. You're still a young player. And now you find yourself walking into the locker room with guys like Sammy Sosa, Sean Dunstan, Mark Grace, uh, you know, all these guys. And, and, and now you're trying to fit in with a, with a new group of guys, but uh, they made me feel welcome from day one. And it was, uh, it didn't take long to make that adjustment to a new team, but I still missed my old teammates back in, in Houston. There's nothing like Wrigley Field. For our listeners, if you don't go watch a game there, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice, in my opinion. Um, you make five All-Stars, All-Star games, uh, and I want to focus on 2001. We've already talked about how 2001 finished, but you make it to the All-Star game, and why I want to mention this, because we haven't had... Uh, a guy come on and talk about the home run derby. Uh, this is really cool because not only do you take down Barry Bonds, who finishes with 73 home runs that year, uh, you take down Sammy Sosa. Take us through that and that experience for you. Well, I'll tell you that I'd never done that before, right? So I'm in the I'm in the home run derby, and I'm sitting. You get to bring your own batting practice pitcher, and for me, it was Jeff Matuzas who had thrown batting practice to me every single day since I was with the Diamondbacks. Um, so that was a thrill for me to get to invite somebody to, to be a part of that experience that I was going through. So I'm in the dugout watching uh, Smash Mouth, uh, watching them perform. And, and you know, I'm, I'm just enjoying the moment. And somebody comes up to me and says, hey, uh, the Derby's going to start as soon as they clear the stage right there. And I go, OK, cool. Can I go take some uh, batting practice or anything? And they go, oh, the guys have been hitting down there in the cage. <laughs> And I went, oh, my God, I haven't even taken one swing now. And now I'm going to walk out there and play in a home run derby. So I looked at Matuzas and I said, I just want to hit one home run just so I can save pace when I walked into that gauntlet back at the locker room. And lo and behold, I just kind of my first three or four swings. It was back then it was the 10 outs, you know, where if you didn't if you didn't hit one out, it was it was considered an out. I think my first four swings, I hooked the ball so far over the first base dugout or down the right field line. And then I kind of had to step out and kind of regroup. And then I hit a couple and I just, I just barely got enough to get into the final rounds. And then, uh, you know, I think Giambi hit like, seemed like he hit a bazillion in one round and tired himself out, made it to the next round. And then he wasn't able to get past that round. But uh, I just had enough every round to, to get me there, to get me to the finals. Gonzo, uh, so many dynamics. Uh, Bud Selig, the commissioner, gives you the trophy. I thought that was so cool. Um, the dynamic of the game itself, uh, Cal Ripken's last game, he ends up homering in, in that game. Uh, Tommy Lasorda, the late Tommy Lasorda, gets a, a bat thrown, yeah. and, and he gets knocked down coaching third base. <laughs> yeah. uh, so many dynamics to this game. What do you remember about the game itself? Well, I was actually the leadoff hitter of that game. And Clemens was on the mound. And I remember stepping up to the plate and they said, hey, hey, give it a second. Because that was the moment where, you know, Cal and Jeter or uh, Cal and I Rodriguez. A-Rod, Rod, yeah. Kind of switch positions. And that was a super cool moment. And you're right, that moment where Cal hit the home run. I was in the outfield and I was I was a fan, man. I had goosebumps <laughs> and I was on the other team. I was like, wait, go, that's go. supposed to happen. I'm supposed to be, you know. 
But uh, yeah, just being out there and being a part of that, man. And, and so many great memories of that walking into the locker room and so many great players that you respect and admire and being out there amongst all of them guys. I was still a, a you know, even at the prime of my career, I was still a super fan and geeked out because you always wanted to talk to those guys and kind of see what their preparation was and how they went about their business. And then in that game, you got to play with, you know, some of your old former teammates that you were with and, and guys like that. So it was, it, those are really special games that you get to be a part of. Well, that season for you was insane. When you think about the numbers you were throwing up, I mean, obviously you win the World Series in 2001 as a team goal. That's enormous, right? You make the all-star team as you're talking about. 57 homers for you that year. You hit 325, you drive in 142. Uh, stunning, stunning numbers. And when you look at the arc of your career, Luis, uh, clearly there's a pinnacle there statistically. Uh, but is that the year you felt like was your best season? Uh, I think like 99 was the year that I really started to turn around. Well, actually 98 when I was with the Tigers, that short porch in right field really helped me because my teammates kind of talked me into changing my stance. I hit a lot of doubles in my career and they were like, man, those balls that you hit to left center field, if you learn how to pull the ball a little bit more, open your stance up a little bit, you're going to hit more home runs. And uh, I started messing around with it um, in batting practice and then, really your, your teammates were your coaches and they, you know, you always have great coaches that, that are with you throughout your career, but your teammates kind of help you out. And that's really what happened to me. I started messing around with the open stance and then uh, lo and behold, I got traded in the off season. I went into 99 Buck Walter was the manager and uh, Jim Presley was a hitting coach. So I said, Hey guys, I got this new batting stance. Uh, I'm really working on it. I'm going to, you know, hopefully I can pick it up. And, man, in spring training, every game I was grounding out to the second baseman. And Buck was going in every day to our GM saying, trade this guy. If you can get a bucket of balls for this guy, get whatever you can for him. And lo and behold, when the season started, I got out of the gates with a 30-game hitting streak. And uh, then my career really just took off from there. I just started feeling more confident every time I got to the plate. And, and as a player, when you get that confidence going, man, you feel invincible every time up there at the plate. And I had a good game plan, and everything just kind of – seemed to work for me from 99 all the way up to 2005, 2006. You know, Gonzo, I, I, having watched you closely because of the friends I had, clients I had that played with you, I always thought of you as being so consistent and so dependable. But to be honest with you, I, I didn't really realize until, uh, you know, I looked at things. And sometimes I look at things through the eyes of having gone through the Hall of Fame process with Craig and Jeff for five years, a couple when they didn't make it and then when they did, looking at, at, you know, comparing statistics across the board with other great players. And just, I just wanted to point out that 10 years, 11 years from 96 to 06, you averaged 150 games a year, scoring 92 runs, 37 doubles a year, 35 homers a year, 90 RBIs a year, hitting 289 and almost a 900 OPS for 11 years. And I can remember I was in Houston uh, watching a game and the day that Craig, they, they flashed, he hit a double, I think, and they flashed up on the scoreboard that he had hit uh, his 1,000th extra base hit. And I kind of went, oh, that's cool, nice. And then I went back and looked at that and thought, 1,000 extra base hits? That's pretty incredible. And I started looking at the list. 
and uh, you're on that list with 1,018 extra base hits. And you said you hit a lot of doubles in your career, only 596 and 354 home runs. I mean, that's incredible to me. And to me, 1,000 extra base hits, every, virtually everyone who is eligible for the Hall of Fame that has 1,000 extra base hits is in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I, I just, I guess with your 2,600 or 26 some odd hundred hits and 1,400 RBIs or thereabouts, I just personally thought you deserve so much more consideration for that honor. And I'm just hopeful that uh, with the veterans committees and, and other period committees they have now, that you will get that consideration sometime. And as we learned from Alan Trammell, it doesn't matter when you go into yeah. the Hall of Fame, you become a Hall of Famer. And in my book, you deserve to have that honor. Well, I appreciate it, Barry. I think I, I kind of got caught up in the uh, in the backlog of the uh, when when I became eligible for the balloting at the time. It was the backlog from the years before of all these guys, and uh, I think it was like this this Smoltz, Glavin, all those guys era of all those guys coming through. And I mean, I you're you're right. I try to just be a consistent. I try to be a good teammate and just be as consistent as I could. I play with a lot of great players and. Um, I really wasn't a frontline player until I got to Arizona, but um, with all those guys that are in the Hall of Fame and, and guys that have been there, I, I have the utmost respect for them because they taught me basically I, from watching, just watching those guys play. Um, you know, I had, you know, I played with some special guys and a lot of them you represented bags and bees. I mean, those two guys were in the Hall of Fame and, um, you know, then you move on. I play with Sandberg. I play with a lot of great guys. I, you know, and, the, and you're right, there's a lot of great players out there that never even get that opportunity to even get put on the ballot. But uh, I was blessed. And you're right, hopefully, I got my fingers crossed that maybe when the Veterans Committee and all them go back and look at numbers, maybe I'll get that opportunity again. Because, I hope that, I hope that you know, too, Gonzo. I appreciate it. It's the ultimate to be, you know, even mentioned as part of that. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I'm, I was just blessed to play this game. I was a little kid growing up in Tampa and I grew up in a Hispanic community, and uh, back then it was Wade Boggs and Steve Garvey, Lou Pinella, Tony La Russa, all these guys. We grew up in a 30-mile radius, um, Dwight Gooden, Gary Sheffield, all these guys. If you go back and look at the list of Tampa, Tampa guys from the late 80s to early 90s, and I remember going into the coffee shops, and those guys, all the old men were playing dominoes and drinking their Cuban coffee and bread and, and reading the sports page. They didn't care about who won or lost, they will always check the local guys to see how they did. And I always told my parents when we would go on the weekends to go, you know, get bread and coffee. I always told my, my parents that I want to be one of those guys one day that they talk about and pick up the paper and read. So for me, it was a thing about uh, being consistent and trying to answer the bell every day and being on the field for my teammates. Gonzo, I love that. Uh, I mean, teammates is what it's all about. And that's the beauty of this podcast. Uh, we hear it all the time. There's opportunities that we get to be able to play with guys like our heroes, like a guy that uh, you, you have uh, taken batting practice with and you have conversations with. That was our relationship um, when you were with the Diamondbacks, with you with other clubs. I had an opportunity and I got traded to the Dodgers. You're in the Dodger uniform already. And that's part of my excitement is you get an opportunity to play with guys that you didn't get that opportunity before. So uh, that resonates with me. 
Um, good teammate was easy to recognize. Just the way you were in the locker room, the respect that people had, not only the players, but the, the coaches, uh, the managers. I absolutely loved that. And it was always something that I'll take uh, the rest of my life. The way you presented yourself uh, as a pro going out there and playing the game. You played in six jerseys. Um, the perspective is always, hey, he's a Diamondback. It was really cool to see you in other uniforms. What was that perspective like? And what was that uh, moment like to be able to step back after you were finished and say, man, I played in six jerseys and wasn't that pretty cool? Yeah, it was really good. I mean, just the experiences in all the different uh, cities that you were able to play in, you tried to make an impact not only on the field, but in the community and just be a part of it, whether, you know, it was just uh, trying to help out in any way that you could. I mean, we're blessed to play this game. And, um, and, and I always took the, you know, the way of playing the game is, you know, the impact that you make, not just on the field, but off the field. I mean, I said it earlier that people are going to remember you for, you know, uh, you know, all your numbers and different things like that. But the impact that you make in people's lives was just as important to me. And I think that's the way I was brought up. My, my family's Cuban and we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We learned to appreciate things and to work hard for everything that we had. So I was not going to let these opportunities slip by me. And I always promised to my mom that I was going to try to help people out and, uh, and just realize that at, at an early age to just appreciate everything that you had and not take things for granted. And, Every day that I was able to put on a big league uniform and be around guys like you and other players, um, I was just very thankful to do that, whether it was in the minor leagues or working my way up to the major leagues. But 19 seasons, and after the 2008 year, Luis, you uh, call it a career, and what a career it was. You move uh, into different facets of life, some business, some back in baseball, you're broadcaster as well, even currently. Um, what's the road like for you in your mind now moving ahead? Well, I mean, I, I, being the father of triplets now, my kids are 23 years old. They just recently had a birthday. So for me, it's more about um, just enjoying life. My wife and I are uh, incredibly blessed. We have a son and two daughters, and we enjoy spending time with them and just being around them. And uh, I, I get to do something that I love to do, which is be around the ballpark every single day. I still work for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and to be around the game that I love so much, whether it's uh, traveling around our minor league cities or just being in, you know, spring training camp or just, just being around the game to me, I'm a lifer. And, you know, a lot of players will tell you that when they play and they don't want to get out of the game. I'm one of those guys. I just, I love being around the game of baseball. Well, Luis, we can't thank you enough for your time. We appreciate you stepping up in front of the microphone for our listeners today. Boy, 19 seasons with six teams, a five-time all-star and a 2001 world series champ before we let you get out of here what'd you do with the world series ring the ring is actually uh sitting in a safe in my house i don't wear it that often i think we were the last team to kind of have the uh smaller rings <laughs> everybody's got these big brass knuckle rings so i'm kind of embarrassed to I'm, I'm, I'm being honest i'm kind of embarrassed to wear mine out because it looks like a high school class ring when i wear it around all the other guys i mean you guys got these nice big bulky rings and i'm like oh man i don't they're going to think I played in the late, late uh, 80s or early, early 90s with that, with that ring. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, again, thanks so much. We really appreciate the opportunity to touch base and catch up. You got it, guys. Always a pleasure. Well, folks, thanks for checking out Major League Beginnings presented by Bet Online. 
And if you had as much fun as we did, please go ahead, hit the subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast from. You pick the platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.